And we are back. This is the Fat Packs Podcast on the Beckett Podcasting Network. I am your host, Eric Norton. Thank you so much for joining me again this week. I really appreciate it. I hope that you are all having a blessed week. I know that I am. Uh, just a big shout out and thank you to our uh, sponsors, Ken Carl Sports Arts and Badger Badger Breaks. Well, about to get a little tongue tied there. Badger Breaks and Ken Carl Sports Arts. Thanks for uh, joining uh, the show and being a part of the fun every week. Uh, that go go check those guys out at their respective websites, KenCarlSportsArts.com and BadgerBreaks.com uh, to get in on all their breaking fun. Uh, we got a loaded show for you. I can't really waste any time uh, getting into uh, semantics, so I won't. But there's uh, some new products and new pricings that I need to tell you about first. So we'll just start with a with the new pricing. We have. Uh, 2018-19 contenders basketball is priced. I think I might have said that last week, but I, it's been a few few days since I even thought about uh, sitting and looking at what what was uh, on the agenda from last week. So uh, I think I got that in on you last week, but if I didn't, there you go. 2018-19 uh, contenders basketball is priced and 2018-19 Upper Deck Series 2 is priced too. I know that I said that last week, but I went back and re- re-looked at the Young Guns and adjusted some prices. So I uh, wanted to let you know about that as well. All right, new product-wise, man, this is a big week because uh, Heritage, it's Heritage Week. 2019 Tops Heritage Baseball, 1970, yeah, the 1970 design. This is a product that everybody loves. I don't get it, It's but this is like, you know, your your um your set builders set. So that's that's great that it's out there for you guys already. Uh, I know that, that everybody's going crazy over it. Ryan Crack now has a great piece up on Beckett.com about all the variations and and, and what to look for. It's um you, you, well you can find it on the homepage obviously, but 2019 Tops Heritage baseball variations all you need to know. This is a, it looks like a long a long long uh post here, but it's he he breaks it down for you and he does a great job of uh, letting you know what to look for. So make sure you go check that out. I heard, I saw some, uh, I saw some uh, Twitter action yesterday on the uh, nickname variations and whether or not they're hokey or, or what it, it, that was an interesting conversation. I, I, I like them. I, I don't think they're, um, I don't think they're totally hokey. I think they're, th- there's a place for them, but I, they're in a lot of different products now that, and that might get a little hokey where they're, you know, they're, and some other brands and by other manufacturers as well. So that that does get a little hokey when you're crossing up like that. But eh, that's just me. Um, so there, that's the big one was was Heritage. Uh, I know everybody was looking for that, and your little hobby hearts are happy now. Uh, 2019 Historic Autograph Steel Engravings Baseball, 2018 Panini Contenders Optic Football, and 2018-19 Upper Deck Synergy Hockey. Synergy was my favorite hockey product last year. I loved the chase aspect of it. Uh, the the base set is numbered so low from last year that you like is really really tough to price. It's uh, I think the base cards are numbered to 17, 18, and eight respectively. So it's just tough. It's really really tough. But then the parallels are uh, easier easier in that product. So I I, I enjoy uh, twenty. The, I'm on the Synergy brand so far. I can't wait to see this one and see what it looks like. And um, good to know about Upper Deck here, man. This is. I think it's the second or third product that they've released with no redemptions and every autograph is live. And I believe that SP authentic is, is shooting for the same way. Uh, I would need to go back and confirm that, but upper deck is really doing a good job about not getting redemptions in their sets this year. So, um, 
kudos to them. Upper deck doing it big with uh, for for the collector, for the hobby guys. All right, um, want to address one thing, and then uh, I'll move on to the uh, thirty teams, thirty weeks. Uh, Sacramento coming in at team number sixteen this week with Panini. Um, so if you if you followed the banter on Twitter the other day, I made a comment about being able to buy your way into a product with tops and Sue's to her credit, uh, commented and left it at that. And I probably should have, but I didn't. And, uh, I, some say I doubled down on it. I can see where you would think that my issue is not with the, uh, the assistance that's going to the family that I believe the parks family that was, uh, was absolutely torn apart and devastated. That's, that's an amazing and beautiful thing that should really be uh, commended here. And looking back, that's probably the road I should have took. However, um, I it felt, and this played out on Twitter, it felt in, disingenuous with the with the gesture about being able to buy yourself into a product. Um, so I apologize. I'm sorry. I The tweet's still up. I want to just be held accountable for what I said, so that that's still up. Uh, you can go back and read it if you want to. So uh, I just want to apologize for that. I mean, no disrespect to the Parks family. Um, and what Tops is doing is great. And the guy that won it was great. He's, he's got a great heart. So um, that's that's all amazing. I said it felt disingenuous. I would have done it a different way. So that's on me. I probably could have shut, kept, kept my mouth shut. So uh, I didn't. And I'm making an apology now. So I apologize to Tops. I apologize to uh, Suze, who um, who pointed it out and i apologize to the collectors i may have offended didn't mean to come off like that but that's how it did and uh, i apologize to everyone who was affected by it and i hope that we can uh, move past this because i'm getting ready to uh move past it myself so uh again didn't want to offend anybody but i did so i apologize uh then brings me to uh shep from about the cards uh podcast there on episode I think they're in the mid-30s, 37, 38, something like that. So Shep, if you listen to his show last night, and Ben and uh, Steph's on there sometimes, and, and Mike was on last night, if you if you listen to this show, he said this last night, that whole, that show exists because of this one. And uh, he they didn't, I believe his words were, two, any two idiots can make a podcast, and so why not, and let's get somebody smart on and everything. All right, so you don't like my show, Shep. That's fine. That's fine. Um, that being what it is, I I, I feel a little uh, slighted because there's never been a dialogue between us about about that. But that's okay, and you know maybe it's my part. I could have I could have reached out to you and uh, definitely talked to you about it. So uh, to you, sir, I I extend an invitation to you. And I, I would love to have you on my show. I would love to have a conversation with you. And I would love to just break it down. Uh, we can talk to the cows come home if you want to. But we'll, we'll talk about different aspects and about collecting and, and the hobby and, and what it means to you and what it means to me. But I do want to clear some things up with you. Uh, I, I get into this with Rich Klein later on in the show. I, I say that I, I, we, I don't collect. And that's something that I did say on Twitter. I do not collect. Um, if you listen to the show, you know that I, I collect a little bit, but 
what I mean by collecting is I don't I'm not actively out there looking for stuff to to add to my collection unless it's Kyle Seeger. And I'm not even really actively looking to add to my collection there either. And I said it's because of where I work. And that's the total truth. Um, ben disagreed with that last night. That's fine. It's the total truth. Where I work at and what I do, there are rules about what I can sell and what I can collect. And there's rules because it would be unethical for me to, or any of us in that department, to go and stock up on, we, we use Pat Mahomes later in the, in, the, in, the, in the show as an example, but go stock up on Pat Mahomes when we know what the prices are going to bear out. So it's not that we can't just do it all together because we can, but in order to just alleviate that stress from, from what I do, I just don't. I, there are definite dis- distinct rules about what we can do and what we cannot do in that, in that department and, and who we collect and how we collect it is one of them and who we sell, who we can buy and sell is a, is a, is another one. Um, we have distinct rules about the dollar amount that we can do it, uh, sell things at or, you know, and that, that without, I'm, I'm kind of dancing around it here, but the, there are distinct rules because of some situations that we've seen in other entities and we don't want to deal with that. So, uh, for myself, I just don't do it. Um, there are people here in this building who do collect and they, they have fun with what they do, but I guarantee you they have to run it through certain people to be able to, to do that. Um, also I said that I don't like to talk sports. That started as a bit, sir, Mr. Shep. Um, the fact is, is I, I would rather talk to you about your family and how your life is going and, and everything other than sports, but I can and do talk sports. It started as a bit, uh, because there are people in, in this office who don't, who actually don't work here anymore that would come around every morning and just talk sports. And I didn't care because I, I watched the same game as you watched and I saw it just as you saw it. And I've heard all the different opinions on the way in and all the pundits the night before. And I just, I don't, I don't want to talk sports with you when I, when I've heard about that all night long. I'd rather just talk to you about family, work life, whatever you want to do. That's what I, that's what I prefer to flat out. Now, again, I did say that I don't like to talk sports, so I can see where you would get that, uh, that get that conversation from, but lo and behold, amaze, surprise, surprise. I do and can talk sports, Mr. Shep. Now again, Shep, I will reach out to you personally after that, after I put this out and we can, we can, chat it up all we want or you cannot and i'll and the invitation is here we do a super collector each month i would love to have you on to talk about your royals collection and the hobby and if you if you accept my accept my invitation please let's make it happen if you don't that's fine too but i just want to uh, i know that you guys took a run at me last night if well not a run but you guys probably went 10 or 12 minutes on me which okay that's fine uh so I just wanted to clear the air here and say, if you want to come on, please do. And uh, let's, let's chat it up. And Ben's welcome too, and Mike and, and Steph and whoever else. I think that there's a, a place in this hobby for, all, all, for both of us. Uh, the, both the, the podcast, your, your podcast is a, smart, is a smart show, sir. It's uh, very well put together and very well researched. And um, 
I commend you for what you're doing over there. It's great. But if you want to come on here and we, we can chat it up, I, I'd really appreciate that. And we can uh, we can go from there. All right. Um, we got to get down to this Panini 30, 30 teams, 30 weeks, NBA style. The Sacramento Kings, also the Cincinnati Royals. So um, I, I'm going to tell you, just to be honest with you, a lot of these names, these are names that I recognize, but I don't know a lot about like because they're like some of these photos are in black and white, and I've never even heard. It's weird. All right, so uh, starting five: Oscar Robinson, Chris Weber, Mitch Richmond, Mitch Richmond, Jerry Lucas. All right, those are obviously all names that everybody, every basketball fan knows. Jack Twaman, Peja Stojakovic, and Nate Archibald are around out the uh, the whole team there. The Jack, I, I'm, I'm going to be honest with you, I don't, I don't know who that is, but he's wearing a Royals jersey, so that tells me that he played in Cincinnati. Um, this is a team that I want you to go check out at 30teams30weeksnba.com uh, and see why that's important. I'm going to start with Oscar, though. and uh, they, The card they chose here is the 2018-19 Certified Lasting Impressions, Oscar Robinson. This guy, it was was amazing to watch uh from every video that i've ever seen obviously i'm not old enough to have, to have watched him play in the league but he everybody who talks about him and at seattle u too was it just tells you that how amazing he was uh the triple double king oscar robinson played for the cincinnati royals one of the many per- precursors to the sacramento kings the big o was drafted by the royals in 1960 and nearly nearly averaged a triple double in his rookie season only failing oh, i'm sorry only falling 0.3 assists per game short. He allowed he followed up his rookie season by becoming the first player in NBA history to average a triple-double for an entire season. He won the 1964 NBA MVP and was an All-Star in all 10 of his seasons with the Royals. He was he was first team all NBA in his first 9 seasons in the league. That is amazing. Go check out the rest of the team uh, in the breakdown um, at 30teams30weeksnba.com and uh let me know what you think. Tell Panini what you think as well. All right, let's get on to the show. We have a uh, we have an interview with Nick, who you guys are going to know who he is because he just bought this um, beautiful, beautiful uh, Tom Brady contenders rookie for four hundred thousand uh, dollars. That is it. It killed it killed the the Jordan that sold the week prior by, by 50,000. So that's, it's awesome. He joins the show to talk about why he did it and uh, how he sees cards as a stock market. And we've talked about that before in the past. And then after that, we have rich Klein on, we're talking about his new show coming up or his, it's not his new show. It's his, this is uh, his show at the, at that Havarim. Uh, it's a it's a monthly card show that he does to uh, well it's not this is not the monthly one I'm sorry I'm getting confused he has a monthly card show in Plano this one is a special one that he does it's a charitable show for his the Brotherhood uh, at his uh, temple and I love having him on we also talked 1989 uh, what was going on in the hobby in 1989 he sh- he shares some great stories about uh, collecting in '89 what the national looked like. Um, he shares a couple of Jim Beckett stories. It's it's a good conversation, and I loved having him on. All right, guys, that's going to be the show today. So I hope you hang out, enjoy it, and listening and listen to all of it. And then uh, we're going to have uh, b- before we move on here to that, we're going to give away this uh, Star uh, Company James Worthy uh, Court Kings card that uh, that Danny left last week to give away. And the winner of that is going to be Dutch Dalton at Four Sport Collector. And um, he's he's got a week to claim his prize, 
So please uh, send me a send me a PM uh, either at fatpackspodcast.com. I'm sorry, at fatpackspodcast on Twitter, or you can send me uh, a direct email at ericn at beckett.com. All right, guys, let's get on to the show. We got uh, Nick up first and then Rich Klein. Thanks so much for joining me. We'll be right back after these messages. This is Anthea Dick, a.k.a. Queen of Abs, and you're listening to The Fat Pack. All right, guys, joining me next year on the Fat Packs podcast is uh, everybody's new friend in the hobby, evidently. It's it's Nick Fiorella. He is the recent seller of the Tom Brady Contenders Rookie that sold for $400,000 uh, at auction on PWCC. What's up, Nick? How are you doing? Yeah, man. How are you? I, I'm doing Thanks real I appreciate you uh, working with me on short notice here. That's really great of you to do that. So, um, just before we get into uh, the discussion about the Brady, uh, we were we were just conversating off air. But please tell my listeners uh, how long have you been involved in the hobby collecting? Sure. Yeah, I'm 41. Uh, I started collecting. I think football cards when I was, you know, probably five, six, seven years old. Um, I, uh, I I started off in, into, into football cards, but um, my favorite sport has always been baseball. And uh, I remember my cousins collected baseball cards in the, in the 80s. And uh, I got a 1987 Topps uh, pack of baseball cards for Christmas. And uh, at the time, I collected football cards. Everyone else was into baseball. Bo Jackson was kind of becoming a thing. And um, his rookie card for baseball came out in 1987 Topps. Mm-hmm. And I think I told my cousin, I said, if I, get a, if I get a Bo Jackson rookie card in this pack, I'll switch over to baseball. Probably one in 40 chance of that happening. And, of course, it did. And... <laughs> kind of been <clears throat> focusing on baseball cards ever since then but um i've got a son my oldest son is 13 and you know he uh was big into bear he was big into baseball and uh, once he got to i don't know probably six seven years old in the little league we he got into baseball cards and kind of sucked me back in and i've been following it and investing my money in in sports cards you know kind of since then awesome so uh you, you let me touch on a couple of things there 87 tops is my favorite set of all time and it's just what i I have this saying on the show that wood grain is sexy, and I, I totally believe that. And then that Bo Jackson rookie card is, is probably my favorite card of all time. So that's cool that we have that yeah, in, yeah. in common together. That's a, I think actually there's a lot of people that have that in common with that. Uh, that you know, if pushed to it, they would probably say the same thing. So uh, your kid, your kid drags you back into collecting, which is a common theme that we hear on this show a lot. Um, do you remember maybe what the the set was that your kid brought you back into it with, or what set it was that you guys opened together that that may, kind of re sparked that uh, that feeling of collecting? Oh, for sure. Um, well, I've also collected autographs. So I, I live in you know living in South Florida. You know, all these spring training sites are all over the place. And when I was when I was a little kid, my best friend, uh, his dad used to we used to skip a week of school, and me and my best friend and his dad would would drive around Florida go to, you know, two spring training sites a day for a week collecting autographs. And uh, I think in 2013, when my son was seven, I just uh, got up one morning and said, hey, we're going to go to a spring training site. We ended up in Sarasota uh, at an Orioles game. You know, he got a bunch of Orioles players autographs, and uh, that was kind of it. You know, that started it for him, and we've been going back to spring training games and getting into collecting. You know, his favorite player was Adam Jones starting out. Then, you know, of course, he switches every – every few months like like we all did but sure. um you know manny machado's his dude so um that kind of brought me back into uh into autographs and memorabilia and things like that and 
you know, of course he likes to rip wax and open color packs and, you know, I've, I like doing that too, but, um, you know, when I'm going to spend the type of money I did on, on that Brady card, it's, uh, that's not really a, a hobby. That's kind of an investment. And, um, that, you know, I've been paying attention to the market and different things. And I, you know, I invest a lot of, you know, I've done pretty well with business. I'm able to invest, you know, my money into, into sports cards. Cause I think that's, uh, a good place for my money, you know? Right. So let's talk about that. Let's talk about like days earlier, the Jordan, this Jordan sells for, for 350,000. And then, yep. then you turn around and not, well, not even five days later, this, this Brady ends at 400,000. What are your thoughts on that? When you see a Tom Brady, that it, it's a, it's more, it's more modern in a sense that it's only maybe, you know, what is it? Three years, four years younger than the Jordan. But when you see a more modern card of, of maybe, Arguably, the the greatest football quarterback of all time sell for fifty thousand dollars more than than the uh, the Michael Jordan from 90, 96, 97 Flair Universe. What are your thoughts on that? I mean, it's did you predict that or going in? Yeah, I knew it was going to sell. I mean, I didn't I didn't predict the exact amount of mm-hmm. what it was going to go to. I mean, I followed it every day, and I was hoping it was going to keep going up. But let's just put it this way: I bid substantially more than the final sales price. Sure. Um, I mean, to me, it's, you know, what Tom Brady, what Tom Brady has done. I have not been a historical Tom Brady fan uh, as a Dolphins fan, but uh, <laughs> you got to respect what he's done. And, you know, my disdain for him has changed to respect. Sure. And I love football and I think he's the greatest quarterback. I think he's arguably the greatest football player of all time. And his story isn't over. So it's only going to get better. Mm-hmm. Uh, and when I saw the opportunity to buy the rarest, the best Tom Brady rookie card, to me, it's like investing in, you know, a PSA 10, 1952 tops mantle, you know, 25, 30 years ago. Um, I, you know, I, I don't think Tom Brady's legacy is going to decline. And, you know, um, I think that card's only going to go up in value. And if I can hold on to it for 20 or 30 years, then, you know, I think it's, who knows what it'll be worth, but I'm, that that was kind of my thinking. Did that make sense? Yeah, it totally makes sense. So let me ask you this then: You said you want to hold on to this for twenty or thirty years. You're you're forty one now, so let's just say twenty years. So you'll be sixty one. Mm-hmm. Would you be tempted to sell this as a retirement piece then, or is this something that you think might stay in the family and get passed down to your son? You know, I don't. I mean, I'm still. I'm still growing a business. Sure. And, um, you know, it just depends on where I'm at financially, what I need. I mean, uh, right now I had some, some money to invest, and I spoke to my wife about it. You know, do I want to buy real estate? Do I want to put money in the stock market? And when I kind of explained my thinking behind it, I, I think that this is a better investment for long-term, for short-term. Um, so who knows what will happen. Hopefully I can hold on to it, and hopefully it will be worth you know, $10 million in, in 30 years. Um, <laughs> of course. And hopefully I don't need it, you know, but yeah. uh, I, I, you know, I, I invest a lot in more modern cards too. And I, and I kind of sell those and buy those for short term gains. But uh, the long, you know, the older cards, I look at holding on to for as long as I can. And I, I would say the Brady is, is included in that. So you said modern cards again, why not, why not vintage cards? I mean, because everyone knows that, you know, you, there's not another 52 mantle being made right now, right? And there, but in that case, right. there's not another 2000 Tom Brady being made. But I mean, right. the mantle is proven. The Tom Brady, it's this is brand new to the market in, in this in, at this value. Why why not something uh, more vintage than than what this is? Well, I do invest in vintage cards too. I have a lot of 
of really nice vintage cards. Okay. In fact, I I just uh, I just bought a card recently. I just bought a 1952 Topps Mantle PSA eight. Okay. Um, recently, so, and I look at that as, you know, I look at sports cards investment as, a, you know, a stock portfolio. I have baseball cards. I have football cards. I have basketball cards. I have them newer. I have vintage. I have tobacco cards. I have a little bit of everything, um, because I look at it as stock diversification, and. Um, I definitely have my, I definitely have money in older cards too, and I see that as kind of slow and steady. The the story of a Mickey Mantle's story is not changing; his legacy is not changing. Correct. Tom Brady's Tom Brady has pretty much you know we're in the I don't know maybe the fourth quarter of his story maybe maybe the maybe there's two minutes left in the game I don't know but he's already like I said like you said I think you know he's probably the best I I, I don't know if that could be argued and he might be getting better I mean he wasn't supposed to win this year right if he does it again what's that card worth in a year. Did did the Patriots winning the Super Bowl again this season have any kind of significance to you as w- pursuing this card? Yeah, I would say so. Um, I think before this year, I think it was maybe you could argue to me at least wh- who was the best football player of all time. I think after this year, and you know, with with the public actually. You know, the, the, with the public betting against Brady and saying that the Patriots are probably the least likely team to win the Super Bowl of all those that made the playoffs, mm-hmm. for him to do that, you know, with that with the team that he had, and a lot of this goes to Belichick too, right? But I mean, uh, yes. So uh, the fact that he did it when everyone else said he wasn't, and he's forty-one, and all that stuff, yeah, hell yeah, that made a difference. That's because a, I think I think after that Super Bowl, I don't think you can argue who's the best. I think he's the best football player of all time. Yeah, I mean it's 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 definitely hard to debate it. Um, I, again, I'm on record as saying I, I mean, he's he's definitely the greatest quarterback to <laughs> to play in the modern era. Actually, in any era, yeah. it's hard to compare eras for me. Especially people like to do right. that in basketball, but uh, he's right. he's definitely the, the best quarterback in the modern era, hands down. And I, I think it can be debated that he is the best football player of all time. I mean, the rings bear it out. So uh, with yeah. that, what are there other like? Modern cards that like maybe you're that are have that have kind of piqued your interest that you're kind of keeping an eye on that maybe if they come to market yeah. that you'd be all over. Oh yeah, I mean I buy. I mean I I'm on eBay every night. I go to every auction that's out there, and I'm I'm buying. You know I have players that I'm investing in, and when I say modern cards, I'm talking about you know I'm talking about brand new cards. I'm talking about yeah. I have the best. You know you know Ronald Acuna the, the NL MVP or NL Rookie of the Year last year. Mm-hmm. I have I have the best Ronald Acuna collection in, in in the world. I have I probably invested thirty forty thousand dollars in Ronald Acuna before he hit the majors. Okay, and I could probably sell it for five six times what I have right now. That's but, great. You know what I, what I spent on it right now. So I look at the short term. I look at the newer players as short term investments. I know that I can lose all my money. I know I could triple quadruple my money in a year. Um, but I, and I also kind of my strategy is I invest in the newer guys to make money in the short term, sell it. And then buy some of the vintage cards that you're talking about. And Brady's kind of on the cusp, right? Like it's a it's a modern card, but it's still, you know, a card that's you know 18 years old, right? Right. So this really is like a like a stock market for you, then. And this is something that we we touch on in the show periodically about how guys today, like such as yourself, are investing in cards and using them as stock. So. Is this something you learned? Is this? I mean, are you do you do you dabble in the actual stock market, or is this something that you just kind of picked up on and and figured you give it a shot? Well, I, 
I have a, I think I'm an entrepreneur at heart. I mean, I, I'm a business guy. I own a large, you know, I took over my dad's insurance agency mm-hmm. in 2013 and we've gone from five employees to, we've got, you know, 300 employees mm. and, um, we've really grown tremendously. And, you know, I, um, you know, I have a finance degree, I have a master's in international business, so I have some business acumen, Sure, but I mean, it's, you know, it's simple supply and demand, right? Like you can go online and you can see these sales and you can look at the return on investment of a 1952 tops mantle, right? I can see what the, what it sold for three years ago, what it sold for five years ago, what it sold for 10 years ago. And I think the transparency of the sales and the, you know, the, the, the population reports and things like that. I mean, you know, it's, pretty simple business, right? I mean, you know, I mean, supply and demand, right? I mean, is, exactly. is the interest, for, is, is the interest of, of, of Jackie Robinson, 1948 Leaf Rookie Guard, is that going to go down? Absolutely not. No. <laughs> I, I doubt it. I mean, I think he's becoming more and more important with, with all the societal changes, right? So, um, so is it learned? Yeah. I, I mean, I definitely didn't know anything about this in my, you know, in my twenties, in my thirties when I wasn't worried about sports cards, but Correct. You know, now that I've gotten back into it and I can see everything and I'm like, Hey man, would I rather invest in Amazon or Jackie Robinson? I, I mean, I'll take baseball all day. Sure, this is interesting to me because you were out of it. You you were out of the hobby for a while, and now you're back in it, and you've seen the you've brought your business acumen to it, and now you're making it. Not only is it a hobby, but it's also uh, an investment for your future, and that's that's really awesome. Not a lot of guys think like that, so. Kudos to you for doing that. I got to ask you, uh, how does your son, what does your son think about this, man? Because, I mean, if you're collecting together with him, this is a huge card that, you know, not everybody can afford, obviously. So what when your right. son sees this, what's he think? Well, look, man, I, my son is my son, right? And he's born into a different circumstance than I was born into. Mm-hmm. You know, I was raised by a single mom. You know, I didn't have the money to go out and, buy expensive cars or anything like that you know she did the best she could and um you know i i I use obviously the fact that this is an expensive card you know i don't want to run around advertising that to my son but he's also you know it's an investment i could have bought a building sure you know i just bought my i just bought a um a sixteen thousand square foot building for my agency and i talked to my son about it i said look this is how this is how much money i put down on it you know this is what I was thinking, you know, this is, you know, this is how much it sold for a few years ago. You know, this is the interest rate I'm paying. Uh, I do the same thing with, with sports cards. I show him, look, look at the, look at the sales price of this card. Look at the supply and the demand. I show him these things because it's an opportunity to teach him. And yes, it's expensive. And yes, a lot of people can't afford it. But the lessons that I can teach my son are, imp- that's more important than me not telling him about it. And, um, you know, all those things that kids learn in school, that's great. But, you know, there's a lot more important things that, you know, we can teach them as a father. And I definitely use this hobby and this investment as, as, as a teaching tool for my kids. That's better. That's great on you, man, because you went the complete opposite way with, than some people would with it. And that's, that's great that you're teaching your son through this. And not only, I think it's going to, I don't know your son or you personally, but I think they would obviously help your son and maybe ignite that passion as he gets older, because he can, he can not only one relate, to it because it's sports card, sports cards, but he can also relate to it too because it's a father son relationship being built, and uh, it's more than just sports cards. He might not recognize that now, but you're doing a great job, uh, 
instituting some of these principles of life and and, and learning in, into it. So that's great, man. You're doing a fabulous job. Thanks, man. I appreciate that. It means a lot. Awesome. So uh, I'm gonna get I'm gonna wrap this up because uh, I gotta I gotta run back upstairs and get back to work and I don't want to I want to be a good steward of your time. So this is a this is a great sell. It's it's great for the hobby. It's 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 big news and I'm happy to have uh, Nick here with uh, with us here. He's he's all over the place. He just did an uh, interview with the New York Times and he's on the Boston Globe and it's you know on Beckett Media. You can find it everywhere. So if you want to find out more about this sell, uh, make sure you go check out those uh, outlets. And guys, hang tight. Outlets and guys, hang tight. Hey, this is Brandon. Hey, this is Kurt. And we're ripping vintage packs. And you're listening to Fat Packs Podcast. A quick reminder that this week's show is brought to you by Badger Breaks. Find them on Facebook by searching for Badger Breaks or just check out their website, badgerbreaks.com, to get involved in some of the best breaks in the hobby. All right, guys. We're going to end the podcast today uh, in a in a great way for me. I, I love having uh, my next guest on. Anytime that he's in the building, I, I really appreciate it. I love picking his brain and, and talking about the history of sports cards, the history of Beckett, the, the, his current card show, which you have one coming up, Mr. Klein, I do believe, uh, in, uh, in a couple of weeks. We'll get to that in just a moment. But, Rich, how are you doing, sir? I'm great. I'm so happy to see you, too. I'm so happy that, you know, as I've always said, when we talk about the show I do for Adat Havarim, that mm-hmm. – Beckett grading was at the very first show I've done, and you've always been very supportive of my efforts, and I always appreciate all that. We, you know what? I I like being a part of it too. So I, obviously, I'm not Beckett grading. I'm just I'm just a guy behind a microphone. But I love coming by and ch- you coming by and chatting about this because we set up the show, and that's great. But then we get to have fun little conversations. You bring me T-shirts. We get to talk about those and a lot of other things. But uh, let's let's just start there. Tell us about the Dot Havarim show. When's it, when's it coming? The next one is Sunday, March tenth, at the Dot Havarim, which is sixty three hundred Independence Parkway, which is the northeast corner of Spring Creek and Independence in Plano, in the shopping mall in Plano, Texas, from 10 a.m. to 4 p.m. I did something very smart this year. I finally got rid of the 9 a.m. opening, and we made it a 10 a.m. <laughs> opening so everybody could get an extra hour of sleep, Okay, especially because it's daylight savings time. It's that, that's the switch. So is that the switch? That's the switch. That's really coming around the corner, isn't it? It sure is. Oh, my goodness. And I started that show as a one-off six years ago. After sure. five years ago, this is our 11th show. And I, you know, and I still remember we had a brotherhood meeting. I said, "Look, I'll raise a show. I'll make you five hundred dollars. Mm-hmm. We needed the money. Let's just let's just have, you know, to me, it's let's have some fun." I was writing for Sports Collectors Daily at the time. I thought in the back of my mind, "Okay, this will make a cool set of, you know, cool set of columns to write how sure. a show comes together." Sure. And okay, I'll show that I've done a show. It'll go away. Well. Yeah. A million and a half cards or some insane amount of cards <laughs> later that we've given away thanks to Texas state law. Uh, we are still at it. We had our biggest year ever last year. We raised over $5,000 for the Adat Havarim Brotherhood awesome. Charitable Prospects, you know, charitable awesome. purposes. And what was funny is when I, you know, when you had to move my thing from yesterday to today, mm-hmm. and I stopped in triple cards since I decided to run my in Plano. Sure. And they says, by the way, do you need a donation? Oh. Uh, sure. Always take a donation. So I picked up the first donation today. I said, I'll give you a plug because your timing <laughs> was much better than you even realized. Awesome. And I have a car full of cards right now. <laughs> You know, I've never been over to Triple Play. Not not once. I've never been there. I've been to I've been to Nick's, which is that's a great store. But Triple Play, I need to like. 
I don't live anywhere near Plano. Right. That's really what the problem is. But well, I've heard, I hear it's a great shop. It is. And and Lawrence, the owner who bought it from Al, mm-hmm. is evolving the store like he should. And I think it's something similar to what your former partner in this show, Paul, does. Sure. Paul, Lawrence appeals to breakers. He appeals to people buying packs. Mm-hmm. He's not really the place where you build build sets. Okay. And so I think you would under, you would think it's like Paul's store to a tenth degree. There's a huge TV for the breakers. There's sodas and snacks for the breakers. Nice. And on top of it, if you ever want to go to lunch there and you like a diner-like element, mm-hmm. there's a really cool diner-like element named Poor Richard's Cafe right next door, okay. which is – you, nice. you just email me or call me and we'll figure it out and I'll meet <laughs> you for lunch and then we'll just walk over. It's right next door. Sounds great. Have you been to the new shop in Frisco, the – um, it's called Masons. Have you been? To right, I have not been to Masons. I do hand out flyers for them at my shows. Okay, uh, they're good people. It's a good you know people your age. I suspect you know they have a twelve year old son or eleven year old mm-hmm. son. That's a nice husband and wife couple, and they love the hobby. And yeah. you know, and it's interesting. And I have no idea whether they collect anything or not. But I don't think so. And that's okay. You know, it's okay to be in this business. If you're not a collector. Sure. One of these things about this business, and you and I were talking about this before we went on the air, is when I used to read my dad's old stamp magazines. Mm -hmm. My dad had been a vest pocket stamp dealer in the 40s and 50s before he had his kids. Mm -hmm. Yeah. You know, when he had extra money in his pocket. I think we all know that. (laughs) And, you know, a lot of times the magazines and, you know, newspapers would say, if you go full-time as a dealer or even part-time as a dealer – Please don't be a collector mm-hmm. because then you're taking money away from your livelihood or how you want to make money by putting items aside. Sure. I don't I'm this might be a little rough for some people, but it's it's like the old the old uh like the wire. You don't get high off your own supply, right? You don't you don't do that. So <laughs> you can't mix the two, right? Uh I, I would tell you I would be a horrible store owner because I would want to be opening every box in there, right? Would you be the same way, do you think? I was. Yeah. I, I, I managed a store for a while, and I, I was able to resist it. But, oh, yeah, there were times we start opening packs Yeah. because you get into it. There was a nice man named Steve McHenry. Okay. He was really sharp. He knew exactly. I mean, we could go to a store. He'd tell, you, he'd tell us, and this is like 98 through 2003 or whatever. He was in business for a long time. He opened it with his son. The son stopped collecting, but he kept going. Sure. But Steve could open it and said, by the way, these are what your prices are going to be. And he was within one level usually 98% of the time. Wow. He was that good at understanding what the prices were and what the stuff, how the stuff was coming out because he was selling singles and right. and that's okay to understand what to sell singles at you do open a box. Of course. But if you just open a box because you want to go for the ultimate hit then you're probably in the wrong business. <laughs> you're in the wrong business. That's uh, this is stemming from a conversation that I, I don't ha- I don't have any problems uh, saying and this is stemming from a conversation that uh, took place yesterday on Twitter about me not, just openly admitting that I'm not a collector. And I'm not. I'm just, I'm just not a collector. But as you pointed out, my son collects, you know, and I help him. Uh, I'm very involved in the hobby otherwise. Well, but, as a matter of fact, he bought two cards from me at the last Frisco <laughs> show. Exactly. He complete. We And I didn't know if I had it. And I had the last two 69 top Seattle pilots he yeah. needed, which is kind of exciting that a young kid, how old is Eli? He's eight. He'll be eight, nine. Nine yeah. years old. And so this is 40 years before he was even born. Sure. And he's collecting the team that was in for one year. Right. 
One year, mind you. I, that, that was exciting to me for a few different reasons. One is that I didn't find them. He found them. by He, he, he sat down and searched through your boxes and found them. Uh, now, you, you gave him a little pointer on where he might look. Yes. Well, <laughs> with my stuff, you have to. Yeah. So uh, that was very helpful. And then, two, he was just as excited to pay you that $1 or whatever that you charged us for that for those yes. two cards than, than he would have been you know, going to see a movie or whatever. So that made me very happy. Just because I don't collect doesn't mean I can't enjoy the hobby. Right. And there's nothing wrong with not being a collector and being involved in this business. Mm-hmm. You know, we used to complain sometimes here back in the early 90s when I came to work here that all the people that were running the Major League Baseball Players Association for the cards and the hockey and mm-hmm. the, they'd go to the card shows, but they weren't collectors. Sure. And they, we were saying, how the heck do they know about this business? Sure. Because they're not collectors. But now with that experience behind me and talking to you, if you understand something about collecting, mm-hmm. it's okay. I'm not really a collector anymore. Right. You know, I, I have a couple items. People ask me, well, what would you do? Well, there's one Major League Baseball player from my hometown. Okay. His name is Joe Cunningham. Yeah. He played in the 50s and 60s. He was second in the NL batting race in 1959 with a 345 batting average. Okay. And Ernie Montella, who passed a while ago, was a really sweet man. He was an oil executive, and what he loved to do was take cards, take pictures, take items, and frame things. Okay. So he did me a frame thing about 25 years ago. One of my teammates at the time went to the old Willow Grove show, brought him cards for me, brought him stuff, and Ernie knew exactly what to do. He didn't even have to ask me what I wanted to do. He just did it. Sure. He bought like an an autographed photo. He bought Mm – he had like some of these – pendant inserts from the 60s that sure. he put on it. It was really cool. And he did a great job. He, he In fact, he put that into his sales uh, sales pitches because he was so happy with it. Awesome. And that and I said, look, if anything gets buried with me to my grave, it will be that. Sure. That's great. And nobody That's... will ever miss that. <laughs> <laughs> Another thing that uh, was brought up, and you can respect this because of your history here, is like there are, we have rules in place about working here and what we can collect and sell and stuff like that. And uh, I mentioned it in the Twitter feed. It's one, it just, it, what we collect, it would be very unethical for me to say Pat Mahomes was the example to say, I collect Pat Mahomes. And then for me to go upstairs and change all the Pat Mahomes prices to benefit myself. And then two, uh, we're not supposed to sell anything BGS slabbed. And uh, if we if it's over a hundred dollars, and if we're going to, we have to get permission. So it's really stringent on what we can and can't do. It, it's a little more lax than what it was when you worked here. You you guys had some like real strict rules. We right? guys had rules like you could not buy cards in a certain sport a week before or the week after the magazine came out okay. because not everybody in the country had the magazine mm-hmm. so you had inside information as to the new pricing okay and you couldn't buy it the week before because you knew the prices before they were going sure so it, it would get confusing sometimes for me <laughs> at the shows i remember at the 94 national mm-hmm. and it was in houston and jim beckett flew everybody to the 94 national who wanted to go for a day he, he paid out nice. of his own pocket. Very nice. Yes. And uh, we had a lot of people come down for a day. But because that was a national, mm-hmm. he actually for that show said, I'm going to waive any of the rules. Wow. We'll just, just if you have something you want to collect, just buy it. Very nice. So, where, just out of curiosity, where was the 94 National Hell? It was in Houston. Yeah, I think but it was where the, at? I think it was the Brown Center. I think okay. It was, I think it was All the right. Brown. Because we were, we were chatting last week. Um, I was there for the TriStar show. 
And I could just see now where the Astrodome would make a beautiful place for a, a huge card show like that. And uh, TriStar, I don't know if it's ever been in the Astrodome, but now it was in the NRG, state, uh, NRG arena. So it was, a little, it was a little bit smaller than I was expecting, but the Astrodome would be awesome, I think. There have been way in the day baseball card shows at the Astrodome. Oh, okay. In the 70s, there was a guy named Herb Elk, okay. who was a PR guy for the Astros. And he passed at a very young age. I mm-hmm. don't know how well, te- you know, this is 30, 40 years ago. I don't know how well he took care of himself. I don't know why he passed at 44 or 43. He was wow. just very young. But he was the he was like an Astros PR guy. Okay. So And he, he loved the hobby. Okay. So he made sure that there were events in the Astrodome. Very nice. So we've had events in the Astrodome back when the Astrodome really was the yeah, Astrodome. Exactly. Now it's it's it looks decrepit almost. It looks sad. But it is it is sad. At one time it was the eighth the eighth one of the world. It was when they came out. In fact, they sold they did tours just like we do for Jerry World. Mm-hmm. They sold the book exactly saying at the eighth one of the world, the Astrodome with all the features. It was like 120 pages. Yeah. Yeah, it's crazy. That's absolutely crazy. Um, while you're here, though, I did want to talk about 1989. Just, it's the 30-year anniversary of a lot of great cards. The the junior rookie, um, the Billy Ripken F-Face card. Uh, 89 score football is, was an amazing set. Um, I know that you weren't quite at Beckett yet, but what were your thoughts about 1989? 1989 was an amazing year. I mean, the hobby was so strong. Mm-hmm. You could, you know... You could fall over. And, you know, and I just wrote an article. Yeah. I read an article for GTS. And a lot of wrote, wrote about 1991 since somebody asked me to write about that. Sure. You could say it was 1989 too. Yeah. And there were so many shows. You literally had your pick of shows to go to almost every weekend. Mm-hmm. There were stores every single block it seemed like. Mm-hmm. I know by 1991 we had 30,000 accounts. Holy moly. And, you know, when we did the 1991 National, we kind of sort of had the first corporate booth of uh, of Beckett. I had two tables because I had bought my two tables the year before. Mm-hmm. Jim had his two tables. Mm-hmm. And a gentleman who was working here named B.A. Murray, who still has his two tables, <laughs> had his two tables. We put all our six tables together. Okay. And we paid for everybody to go out there and made so much money. <laughs> And all by just selling books, magazines, and back issues and back books. Really? I mean, that's how strong the hobby was in 91. 89 was the same thing. Oh, my goodness. I that's mean, crazy. you know, the the football magazine comes out at the end of 89. That mm-hmm. is the first that goes with baseball. Right. I had the first one right up there, right above your head. And, you know, that, <laughs> you know, when that came out, that was – I have an article in that, by the way. Oh, do you really? I, I should, really I should take it out of the case. Take it, you don't have to. <laughs> I have an article in that, by the way. Very nice. And – they had to run around to get me a copy of the article because they only printed 125,000 copies. Oh, wow. And they ran out. And there was one customer service rep here the day after Thanksgiving. And that poor lady told me that she, it took her like a month to recover from everybody calling trying to get more Beckett, more of number one Beckett football. Really? It had Bo on the cover. Yeah, Bo was on the cover. Bo was yeah, on the obviously. cover. And it was just an amazing time. The 89 National, with my friend Bruce Painter and his wife, Benita, running it, was the last one held at a hotel. Okay. It was at a big hotel. I mean, I could literally just take the elevator to the show really? each morning. It was insane. Hmm. I was busy literally from Thursday setup and whenever we got there until mm-hmm. we left on Sunday. Wow. It was an amazing show. Wow. Uh, Bruce sadly passed about a month ago. Hmm. 
Okay. Uh, 68 years old. And there's and I wrote about him, too, because there's a funny story. And we'll refer back to the synagogue. Mm-hmm. He's, he's always sent me stuff. Okay, that's great. And he, you know, sometimes it was better than others. Sometimes I could be prizes. Sometimes it'd just be cards. One time he says, I've got, I got these five boxes for you, but I just went to this estate sale and I bought a 1989 Donruss 5,000-count box of Tom Prince cards. I think he lives <laughs> locally in it, it, to where sure. they were in Illinois. Can I send them to you? Sure. I'm not going to tell you you can't send them to me. You've sent me so much else over the years. Right. So now I have a 5,000-count box that we've dispersed some of them of 89 top uh, 89 Donruss Tom Prince cards. As I said, it's not even his rookie card. He is an 88 rookie. Right. And so if anybody ever gets a bag filled with Tom Prince cards, even if there's a prize, <laughs> we will gladly give you a second bag. Who, so you can – Who has that many Tom Prince cards? And he may have been just – you know, in those days, that's one of the diff- – in fact, I didn't think about that. But that's one of the differences with 89 and today. Okay. People broke these big lots and sold huge cards in a penny stock market. Sure, sure. You know, you could have a penny stock market. Definitely. And I remembered, okay, and the reason I finally realized I got to get out of this business about buying and selling cards, I was managing a friend of mine's store. We got an order form from somebody. And he could give you or she could give you or they could give you 8,000 copies of any 89 tops card. Really? And if I'm thinking, if I'm getting 8,000 copies of a card, mm-hmm. there's nothing rare or scarce about these cards. Sure. I got to get out of the new card world. Exactly. Wow. So let's talk about some of the names. I, I said the Griffey Jr. Rookie, the upper deck, that's the one everybody knows. Uh, well, that's the one everybody wants to collect anyways. Um, we were waiting pa- impatiently for 89 Upper Deck. 80, really? I think 89 Upper Deck Griffey, it's still an amazingly popular card. Mm-hmm. That may be, other than maybe a month in 1990 when he slumped a little at the very beginning, that may be the only card ever in the history of the hobby that's never had a cold patch. In 30 you th- you years. You think so? Yeah, I don't can't think it's ever had a cold. When wow. I say cold patch, yeah, right. you still, people your age, mm-hmm. people my age who are dealing, we still want that card. Exactly, yeah. We still buy that card. Sure. It still, it triggers so much in people sure. that I don't think that card will ever go cold. What, what, what about the Ripken one? Has it ever been cold to your and knowledge? And the Ripken card has never been cold. In fact, the Ripken card has never been cold. Right. It's it's never been as hot as it was, but it's never really been cold. Sure. So, yes, I think you're right. That's what's amazing. Two cards. And we were talking about 89-score football. Yeah. The key rookies, if you think about them, they've never really been cold either. Either, yeah. And that set, that 89-score, it was so colorful. Like, I, I just remember all the bright colors. And, uh, you know, Barry and Troy and, and Dion and uh, Andre Risen. Just pick pick a guy, right? right. They're, they're in it. And it's so... It's so nice, but to get that centered, like really well centered, you, you can hit gold right there, man. You've hit absolute gold. A guy I did want to ask you about uh, hockey-wise, hockey-wise was Joe Sackett because he was the biggest rookie in the set. And Joe Sackett's still very popular. It's just that hockey has dropped off the map for so many collectors. Right. We, we were saying that in those days, and we'll say that today. Yeah. Hockey may have less collectors, mm-hmm. but they're more passionate. They're definitely more passionate. I, have you ever been to the Toronto Expo? Yes, I've been there twice. The last time I was there was 1997 or 8. Okay. And I was still chasing down baseball cards. And okay. it's hard to believe, but I actually found a ton of baseball cards for our cataloging purposes mm-hmm. at that show. People were coming up to me. You need to have this. You need to get this. You need to get this. I had, and But because of the custom laws, I had to be very careful about sure. what I was spending. Sure. Because if you get past $400 – 
there's yep. a there's a problem. There's a problem. So I, I think I ended up at 375. <laughs> nice. So what I was getting at was like to your point, how passionate hockey collectors are. I've never seen a more passionate bunch uh, than at that show. You know, oh, they're, they're they're amazing and they're intense too. Very intense as they as they search those those quarters and, and, and dollar boxes. You know what's amazing, and I never realized it, but the woman who cuts my wife and mother-in-law's hair, her uncle, who passed in 1981, is Joe Amadio, who oh, has who okay. has like two cards and you know six. He has like one card in 6970 or 7071. Mm-hmm. And I always tell her, oh, by the way, I see tw- I just saw 20 of these cards show up. You may want to chase them down. <laughs> awesome. <laughs> Uh, I, I'm looking at your article here, and, and it's a great read. Everybody go check it out. It's at GoGTS, uh, Client's Corner, and it's how the hobby has changed since – how the hobby has advanced since 1991. And your first point here is base cards were very well respected. What do you, give me your thoughts about that. You know, I love base cards. Mm-hmm. I love all cards. But, you know, we didn't have inserts in 91. Mm-hmm. I mean, even the 60s and 70s inserts were minor parts of the set. You collected a 69 top set, and then, okay, maybe I'll do the decal edge set, or maybe I'll do the you know, decal inserts, or mm-hmm. maybe I'll do in 71 the coins. But it was the sets. And then even to the 80s, it was always the sets. There are no inserts in an 88 top set. No. It's 88 tops. So base cards were you know, respected. Nowadays, if you have a curse breaker, like, you know, case breaker, like, Paul, you mm-hmm. know, the other half of fat, the former other half of fat packs, yeah. you break a case. I bet you 75% of the time, 90% of the time, the people that buy the teams don't want the base cards from those teams. Uh, yeah. Yeah. That's how it goes typically. And um, I know that there are some breakers that, that say they'll ship everything. And if not, they'll take they'll take those cards and make a donation if you don't want them like to kid order cards or you know wherever they want to. Well, as a matter of fact, we got one of those donations. Yeah, <laughs> we got a six hundred thousand card donation. Okay, that we didn't even have to handle, which was the best part of it. There you go. Um, Mike Jasperson, who used to work at Beckett, mm-hmm. sends me a Facebook message one day. Mm-hmm. Rich, I have all these cards to donate to you. I need to send them. And I posted, you know, such and such on Facebook. I didn't sure. even post. I just, I did vaguely. Another of our mutual friends, Ken Dinnerman, goes to me. Are you talking about Jasperson? Mm. Yes. Okay. So he ended up buying the baseball and football cards. Okay. And he sold the basketball cards to a third-party person mm-hmm. who wrote us a check. Actually, PayPal. I would say write us a check, but it's mm-hmm. actually PayPal. I said, no, the PayPal account's a nonprofit account. Oh, wonderful. So <laughs> he sent, so we got a donation. Mm-hmm. So and this person got basketball cards that he could use in bulk. Nice. And we got a donation out of it. Nice. And everybody's going to be happy. There you go. Very and simple. so we're happy with base. Yeah. We love base. We give away base cards. We also give away some insert cards in our mm-hmm. bags. But base cards people love. They love the happy shiny cards. Yeah. When you're giving people 100, 200 cards for a dollar, it doesn't take much to make them happy. Exactly. That is a good – now let's swing back over to the show then because uh, we've, we've talked about the giveaway bags. One thing I don't think we've ever really focused on with, with the show is like the number of dealers that are there. It's, it's usually good 25, 30 dealers, it's right? 20, and there's a lot – and we're very lucky because, frankly, since it's an official synagogue event, mm-hmm. I don't have to pay for the room. Okay. There and that go. makes a difference. Okay. So I'm actually cheaper with that show than I am with the other show I run for, you know, run mm-hmm. run in Plano. Yeah. And the tables have a $35 cap. 
There you go. You can't, you, you know, and we're basically sold out. I'm basically holding tables in case one person calls and says he mm-hmm. wants them, who's been there since the beginning. If he sure. calls me and says, I need my three tables, you got them. Other go. than that, I really don't, you know, and if a corporate wants a table, yeah, we'll find a way to get you in. Mm-hmm. Other than that, I really don't want to sell any more tables. Sure. Which kind of silly to say. The room holds 43 tables. Mm-hmm. I save two for myself. Mm-hmm. And we save two for the price tables. Yeah. And I, I don't mind, frankly, if I don't sell more than the 29 wall tables we can get in the room and then collectors can sit and trade among themselves. That's too. fun. So, but it, the, everything at that show is reasonably priced. We are not trying to gouge anybody. We we should have, I probably should have been $2 to get in the door, but it's like, I was going to do that as a one shot, so it's a dollar. Right. Do you think I can raise the price now? <laughs> probably not. <laughs> no. <laughs> probably not. You know what I like? I like about the show too is it's the setting is very nice. It's it feels safe and comfortable, and you're you're in the back end of the uh, of the temple. Is it temple? I don't want to insult. Yes, it's a temple. You can you can call it. You could even call it a church, and why wouldn't be insulted? (laughs) We've had people call it a church, and you know what? That's perfectly fine. They call it your church. I said, I don't even (laughs) correct them. I say, yep. (laughs) (laughs) Very nice. So it's at the back, the back end of the temple, and it's it it's a. For a, for a big guy like myself, it's a cool area. It's not hot, too hot back there. So it's it's a nice, comfortable setting for people to come and, like you said, sit down and trade if they want to. And, and I've seen that with my own two eyes. So you run a great show, Rich. Thank you. you do, I appreciate that. You do that. such a good job. And, you know, and I'm happy. We have a lot of vendors who do that show that don't do any other show in the Dallas area because mm-hmm. the table prices are affordable. They say, I want to do a show. Sure. And this way I know I can kick back to the community. Yeah. And, you know, and the spring money goes to send kids to camp, mm-hmm. and the and there's other other charitable functions as well. And the fall show goes basically to purely charitable functions. Usually, that's the money we send to Jewish family services, mm-hmm. so they can give gift cards to those families truly in need. Sure, that's amazing. You, you do such a good job, and I'm so happy to have you on and let you talk about it. it it's uh, again, like I said at the top of the interview, we get to talk and uh, about your show, Dot uh, Havarim, and then we get to talk. Old sports cards, too. So I that's love cool. talking old sports cards. I mean, we had such a blast last time. Sure. That 30 minutes we were on went like that. Yep. And so I'm always happy to talk to you. You know, we talked about your ethics, you mm-hmm. know, and we had ethics. I was telling you, we yeah. had ethics seminars. We yeah. actually would go to a place called the Press Club and have ethics seminars about what we could and couldn't do. Really? Now, just bringing that up, it just because it triggered an old – did you work in the building, the same building that Chuck Norris worked in? Yes. That so, was that was the – that was the building on Dallas Parkway. Chuck Norris was on the first floor. Okay. He had a little office on the first floor. Uh-huh. He came in the same way some people do. Where, where I was working, it was easier to come in that door, but you know you could also come in the other door. Sure. That was the old building on Dallas Parkway. Okay. Is there Were there rules about talking to Chuck? Like no. The, no? You could talk to him? You could talk to him. Awesome. Was he, was he cordial? I, I, never, I never saw him. The okay. only time I would ever <laughs> see Chuck... Every once in a while, Grant and I would – Grant Sandground, who used uh-huh. to work here, and I would sometimes go out to dinner on a Sunday night. We'd usually go to some sushi place. Sure. He'd usually come in with some smoking hot blonde. There you go. We, we would see him occasionally with some smoking hot blonde at some <laughs> sushi places in Dallas. Very nice. Very nice. Now, last time you were here, you brought me some T-shirts to give away. I gave those away. I have three more that you brought me. There's two that – I, I'm interested in it, but the one I really want to know about is the softball shirt. Yeah. There's got to be some great softball stories. There are. There are. There's one that I'll never talk about because <laughs> it was something I'm not proud of doing, and we'll leave it at that. But okay. it involved something where my, my brain synapses went in the wrong direction. Okay. So we don't talk about that one. All right. But we weren't really – we were a bunch of 
people who probably thought we were better athletes than we really were. Sure. But, you just held yourself proud because of where you worked, right? Yes. Okay. And, you know, we played some really good teams and some crappy teams. And sometimes we won, sometimes we lost. But I think that was one of the last teams we had. We had enough people in those days we could actually do softballs. Right. And that was kind of fun. The first year we ever had a softball league, we wore black jerseys. Oh, no. And it was almost the summertime. You right. Can imagine how much fun that was. That's nothing I want to think about. But... One of the one of my favorite stories about the softball, a good clean story. One of the teams we played once had Dave Hostetler on the other team. Really, from the old the old the old Ranger yeah. with twenty three homers as a rookie in uh-huh. nineteen eighty two. Well, give him a softball to hit, and guess what? Oh my goodness! Three at bats, three homers. <laughs> wow! All went further than the one before. before. Oh my goodness! <laughs> and that's my favorite story. Like, wow! And I'm catching, so oh, I'm so he's a big guy, right? And I'm watching these balls. It's like, uh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Who was pitching? I don't remember. You don't remember? God, I hope it wasn't Jim. <laughs> Jim, no. Jim never played for our – Okay. The only, I did, Jim did play softball when he was younger. Sure. And he tells me this story is apocryphal. Oh, really? But I tell him it's the first time I remember meeting him, even though he tells me he remembers me before that. Okay. And mm. I probably did meet him in passing before that, but he remembers – but it is true where I tell the story, okay. except it's apocryphal. It may be apocryphal for where we first met. Okay. Because Jim traveled the country and he came up to New York a lot. Mm-hmm. So I would probably see him at New York or Philly shows. I probably mm-hmm. met him without realizing it. We probably talked. Sure. And in 1984, the National used to have more than just a show. Okay. They had seminars. Okay. They had softball. They had trivia. There was all sorts of stuff you could even do during the show. Wow. The seminars were before the day before the show. People would talk. There'd be a great – the one that drew the biggest audience was State of the Hobby, mm-hmm. which was really cool. I mean – Sure. And Thursday morning, I would play softball. Jim's the designated catcher for both teams. Is he really? <laughs> and he's the designated catcher, so he can meet everybody. That's funny. And I, and he's, he's Jake Taylor in Major League Baseball. <laughs> okay, go ahead. I'm sorry. And no, no, I like that. I didn't realize that he's Jake Taylor in Major League Baseball, yeah. and he's doing that so he can meet everybody, and it's an informal way of meeting some new people and in a, in a nice situation. Sure. And Jim says, "Oh, by the way, I always enjoy reading all you everything you write." <laughs> well, I was writing the Times for Baseball Hobby News. I was answering polls. I would also respond to his surveys. Mm-hmm. So I wrote a lot. Sure. I still write a lot. Sure. That's just a different type of writing now. Exactly. <laughs> that was more writing based on pricing. This is more writing based on memory sometimes, based on, as I said, my next column for Klein's Corner will be, you know, do you really have to be a collector to be in this business? Sure. And that actually was triggered by what we were talking about earlier. Awesome. And I, so I wrote about that in my Sports Collectors Daily about that's where we first met. He swears to me that's not true. Really? <laughs> and I'll go with his word. Okay. Well, but it, it's prob- Jim's memory is probably b- better than both of ours combined. Right. So. Exactly. Uh, when Jim, let me ask you this and we'll get out of here. When Jim said, hey, when he mentioned that to you, I, I enjoy everything you write, how did you feel? Oh, my God. I, I, I didn't come down for the rest of the show. Sure. <laughs> I understand that because you told me this. You would. Hand of God, you told me this. Hey, Jim listens to the Fat Packs podcast and he likes it. It went in one ear and out the other. But when Jim told me that, it was a completely different feeling. So it's really cool. Uh, I know that we're building Jim up to be this, you know, 
this got him on Ming, and he he is in some in aspects. some ways he is. Yeah. And, you know, I'm going to tell a Jim Beckett story. That's very please do. In 1998, the company was struggling. Mm-hmm. We weren't going out of business, but we were struggling. Sure, we had had a couple after all the great successes of the early and mid 90s. We had a couple of down years. Mm-hmm. We definitely lost money in 97, and I think we lost money in 98. This is just before grading got going in 99. Okay. I don't think from that point they ever really lost money in this company. Sure. <laughs> Jim, and the, you know everybody's all upset because there's no Christmas bonus. By that point, I had been there long enough mm-hmm. where every November we would do these forms, and I didn't understand the math, but I would get a check for my unused PTO. All right. Hey, that to me that was my yearly bonus. Guess what? Yeah, that's perfectly fine. That's 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 my yearly bonus. Guess what? Yeah. I'm a happy man. Right. Well, Jim, and he didn't do it to maybe a day or two before our annual Christmas meeting, mm-hmm. annual I guess our annual meeting where we all got together, mm-hmm. and he made sure that everybody in the company got some very nice bonus out of his own pocket. Very nice. Just to make just because he knew morale was way was down. down. Yeah. And he knew that if he didn't do something with all the money he has, I mean he is not a poor man. Right. <laughs> you know, you you went to his house for the hobby dinner in yeah. January. Mm-hmm. I think that was the first time you were there. Yeah, it was the first time, yeah. Yeah. It's that's his guest house. That's R- nicer than yours and mine house. Yeah. <laughs> and he made sure to do that to make sure that his employees were happy. Sure. He didn't have to do that. Nowadays, no. 99 out of 100 employers would say, "Yeah, I got mine. Yeah, He wanted, no, I got you. I got your back. Sure, I want you all to be here. And we also got, in addition to the bonus, which was not insignificant, $100 of Galleria Gold. Okay. And all you had to do with the Galleria Gold is if you buy something with Galleria Gold, they give you the change in cash. <laughs> Very nice. <laughs> so a seven dollar CD, right. because the golds were fifty dollars each. Mm-hmm. So a seven dollar CD became forty three dollars in cash. Very nice. <laughs> and, but that's Jim really did his best to take care of his employees, yeah. and that's something that's rare in today's world. It sure is. He um, with just like the political climate and everything that's going on, uh, Jim Jim stands out to me as a like a a throwback. You know, he is yeah, a throwback, and 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 I mean that in a good way. Yes, he's a uh, he's I I never worked for him. I've had the pleasure of meeting with meeting him and having dinner with him, and he's he's just he's one hell of a guy. Yes, that's he all is. I can say. He's just he's just one hell of a guy. All right, uh, we're gonna get out of here. Uh, I want to be a good steward of your time, sir. Oh, you're you're fine. I you know I could do this for hours. Yeah, <laughs> but, I know. But I do have to go back to my job too. Exactly. So uh, thanks so much for Rich. Uh, thank you so much, Rich, for stopping by. Uh, again, March 10th, uh, 10 a.m. to 4 p.m. at Adat Havarim. Uh, give me the address one more time. 6300 Independence Parkway, Plano, Texas, 75023, northeast corner of spring creek and independence in the shopping center okay uh guys it's in the corner of the shopping center you can't miss it uh go check it out if you're in the dfw area and i promise you you won't regret it all right guys thanks for hanging out this week and until next week just keep listening cue the drake